Well, good morning, Shelby Road. Here we are again. I'm here by myself, and you're sitting in your living room, maybe eating a donut on your couch. But I'm thinking about diets. Diets? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you've been on a diet before. Maybe even this New Year's you decided you wanted to make a New Year's resolution to take off 10 or 15 pounds. But that's hard. Diets are hard. That's why there's lots of programs for diets, like Weight Watchers. Lots of you know about Weight Watchers. It's point-based. In Weight Watchers, they give points to every food, and you get so many points a day. Basically, it's like this. Any food that tastes good has lots of points, and any foods that aren't good have no points. So pizza has lots of points. Lettuce, no points. Ice cream, bacon, lots of points. Kale, rutabaggies, Brussels sprouts, no points. Well, that's how it goes. And that makes diets hard. Cindy and I went out to a restaurant recently when you could still go to a restaurant. Do you remember those days when you could actually go inside and they brought the food right to your table? Well, we went out for brunch. It was about 10, 10.30 in the morning. It was a great brunch, and they had unbelievable cinnamon rolls. The cinnamon rolls were the size of a dinner plate, not the 12-inch dinner plate. We're not supposed to use those anymore because you could put too much food on a 12-inch plate. But the 9-inch dinner plate, they covered the dinner plate. So I got two, one for Cindy, of course, and we ate them both, totally. They were all gone. And when we got done, we decided to check on our points, and I found out that I had used my points for the entire day, and it was only 10.30 in the morning. So I bought some points from the lady at the table next to me. She was very willing to sell some of hers for 50 cents a point, and I thought it was a great deal. You may be wondering, I am not a representative of the official Weight Watchers organization. I'm a part of a splinter group of Weight Watchers that buys and sells points on the black market. The point is, diets are hard. And here's the thing. You get on a diet, and then you get off track. And after a while, you realize, while well, I'm off track, I need to get back, track and back on track and get in my diet again. And a similar thing is true in the Christian life. It's easy to begin to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, but then it's also easy to get off track. And when we find ourselves off track, we need to get back on track. That's why I've been in a series called The Comeback. Talking about the fact that sometimes we get off track and we need to get back on track in our relationship with God. By way of reminder this morning, let me remind you that everybody's journey with God begins the same way. It begins with a two-part decision. I know that you know this, but just let me remind you. Everybody's spiritual journey begins with a two-part decision. The first part is the decision to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to believe that he's God, that he's God's son, and that he came to this world to die on the cross for our sins. And then he rose again to prove that what he said about himself was true, and also so he could give us spiritual life. A dead person can't give life. Then we need to ask God to make that true in our own lives. So we ask Jesus to be our Savior, and we ask him to be our Lord, which leads us to the second part. Then we begin to follow Jesus as the Lord of our lives. 
The Bible talks about a narrow gate and a narrow path in our relationship with God. The narrow gate's, of course, Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. Then there's a narrow path, and that narrow path is following Jesus Christ for the rest of our life. That is, we do what he did, and he said, I always do what pleases the Father. Whatever the Father asks me to do, that's what I do, and so that's what following Jesus on the narrow path means. It means that we do what God asks us to do in his word. Now, with that as a backdrop, three thoughts I wanted to get us, us to get today. The first one is this. It's very easy to get off the track of following Jesus Christ on the narrow road and to begin to follow the crowd on the other road. It's very easy for this to happen. In fact, it happens in the passage I want us to look at today. It happens in a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a story called the prodigal son. It's one of his most famous stories. In that story, there are two sons, and they represent us, and there's a father, and he represents God. And in this story, the youngest son wanders away from God. Here's how the story is told in the Bible in Luke 15. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. He had a relationship with the Father, but he went away. He wandered away. And I think the question is, why? Now the text doesn't say specifically, but I think it gives us some clues, and I think we can make an educated guess of what kinds of things happen to draw him away. I have five or six ideas. Here we go. Number one. I think it began with personal control. He wanted to control his own life. He was tired of doing what the Father said. And so he wanted to go off and do what he wanted to do for a while. By the way, I think this is one of the reasons that some people never start the journey of following Jesus Christ. Because they don't want to give up control. And I think this young man wandered away because he wanted to take control and do what he wanted to do. Number two, I think perhaps he had a desire to be a part of that group out there, that group on the other road. There's a small group that follows Jesus Christ on the narrow road, but there's a big group that's a part of the crowd on the broad road. And I think perhaps he wanted to be a part of that in crowd. He hadn't been for a while, but he wanted to be in, and so he wandered away. Number three, I think perhaps there was a certain relationship that drew him away. This is very common among young people. They, they follow Jesus Christ, then they get in high school or college, and they fall in love with somebody who doesn't follow Jesus Christ. And when that happens, when you are trying to follow Jesus, and the person you're in love with, the person you have a relationship with, isn't following Jesus Christ, one of two things will happen. Either you'll pull them this way, or they'll pull you that way. And I think, perhaps, that's what happened to him. Number four, I think it's likely that he, he got preoccupied with a desire for things and for money. That's in the story. He went to his dad and said, I'd like my part of the estate. As the younger son, he was supposed to get a third, and the older brother was supposed to get two-thirds. 
And he said, Dad, I want my third right now. What part of this estate is mine? So his dad divided it. And as soon as he did, the younger son liquidated his side. He sold the property. And then the Bible says he took all that wealth and he went and squandered it in wild living. And I think perhaps he just wanted a chance to have what the world offered as far as money and things is concerned. And the Bible teaches us, Jesus said this, nobody can pursue God and pursue money at the same time. It just won't work. Number five, I think really, probably he was just looking for fun. There, there's a certain kind of fun in following Jesus Christ, but there's a different kind of fun in being a part of the crowd. Different activities. It's really interesting. The Bible says he squandered his, his wealth in wild living, and that phrase wild living is used in another place in the Bible, in 1 Peter chapter 4, and it gives a description of the kinds of activities that were out there. Let me read it to you. You have spent enough time in the past doing what the ungodly or unsaved choose to do, living in debauchery, partying, lust, drunkenness, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. Same idea, wild living. There's a certain kind of lifestyle on the broad road and a different lifestyle on the narrow road. And I think perhaps the younger son wanted to be a part of that other kind of activity. The last one, number six, is I think perhaps he just got disappointed and disillusioned in his life with the Father. And I think this happens to Christians sometimes. They begin to follow God and they have an idea of how life is going to go. They think they're going to have a wonderful life and God's just going to bless them constantly. They aren't going to have trouble when they pray. God's always going to say yes. Well, God always answers, but he doesn't always answer yes. And so sometimes people just get disillusioned and disappointed, and so they walk away. And that's what happened to this young man. And that's when the crisis hit. There's often a crisis. Let me read it to you. In Luke 15, beginning at verse 14, he says, After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. That was the crisis. And he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And in this passage, we learn something. It's our second lesson, and it's this. Many comebacks begin with a crisis. It's actually why I thought this story really applied to us today, because we're in the middle of a crisis. And God often uses crisis situations to get our attention. That's what he did with this young man. It says when he came to his senses, that is, God kind of shook him awake. God was trying to get his attention and he used the crisis to do it. And I wonder if God might be using this crisis to get our attention as well. This young man kind of woke up and realized that his life wasn't working. And so he began to make some changes. He began to ask some questions. 
And that's a good thing to do in the middle of a crisis. One question to ask is, who can we trust during this crisis? And the answer to that is God. We talked about that last week. Can we trust God during the crisis? And the answer is yes. Why? Because he's right here and he'll be faithful. But it's not the only kind of question to ask. The young man began to ask the question, is my life working? And the answer was no, it wasn't working. And, and we can ask ourselves these questions. Am I where I should be? Am I doing the things I should be doing? Is my life what it should be, because perhaps we've gotten away from God. Perhaps we've gotten far away from God. Perhaps we're not that far, but we're not close to God. Perhaps we've just moved a little ways from God, and God might use this crisis to try and speak to us, because he does this. He speaks to us during difficult times in our life. Many times, our comeback to God will begin during a crisis, and it can happen today. Now, every time, every time we make a comeback, number three, every time we make a comeback, it requires different choices. So the young man, it says he came to his senses. It's like he woke up. And when he did, he said, this isn't working. This isn't working. My, my life isn't working. And so he said, I'm going to go back to the Father. I'm going to turn around and go, and then he took a first step. And that's exactly what we need to do. If we find ourselves far away from God, or just not right with God, or just a little away from God, we need to say to ourselves, this isn't right. I'm not doing what I should be doing. And we can make a turn and move back to the Father, and it requires a first step. I say, well, Pastor McNeil, I don't... I don't know what step to take. Well, I want to suggest a couple to you. Number one, talk to God. That's what he did. That's what the young man did. He said, I'm going to go home and talk to my father. Talk to God. Just tell him you're off. Tell him you sense it, that it isn't right right now. And here's what will happen. You'll find that he'll be there. He says, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Start by talking to God. And number two, Get into his word. That's how he talks to us. Start, start reading the Bible again. You said on the where to read. Start in the book of Psalms. Read Psalms. It's a good book to read during a crisis. Billy Graham used to read five chapters of Psalm, five Psalms every day. Why don't you do that? In a month, you'll have read the whole book. You're going to need a little extra time on the day you get to Psalm 119. But five Psalms a day, and you'll go through the book in one month. That's a good place to start. If you want another place to start, go to the New Testament. Starting Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are, those are the, the books that teach the life of Jesus. If we're followers of Jesus, it's a good thing to do to read what Jesus did and what he said and what he expected of his followers. Number three, connect to the people of God. Connect to the family of God. You say, well, the churches aren't open. I know we're connecting this way right now. But pretty soon we'll be back into our regular routine and you can get back to a church. Go to a church where they preach the Bible. Where they take the Bible and explain it so you can hear the voice of God. And number four, maybe you just need to make a change. Maybe there's something that you're doing right now that's keeping you away from God. Or maybe there's something you need to start to do that will bring you closer to God. Perhaps you know it right now. Perhaps you know there's a habit or an activity you have and you need to stop. Well, now's the time to take that step and do it. 
Perhaps there's something you need to start. Maybe the path back to God is by forgiving someone. There's always a first step. And I want to encourage you to take it today. And when you do, you'll find that God will be there waiting for you. I think some people are afraid that if they head back to God, He'll be upset with them. He'll be disgusted with them. But that isn't true. In fact, I want to read how the son meets his dad. The Bible says, while he was still a long way off, the son's on his way home, while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he had more he wanted to say. Remember, he wanted to say, I don't deserve to be a son. I, I want to be a servant. But the father just cut him off. The father cut him off and said, The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father wanted the son to come back. He was eager. He ran to meet him. He was full of compassion and full of love, full of joy. And that's how God's going to respond to you. He said, Pastor Manuel, you don't know how far away from God I am. It doesn't matter. God the Father always wants his children to come back. That's what the young man said. I will set off and go back to my father. And here's the thing. Even when we wandered away, we can make a comeback. It often starts during a crisis because God's got our attention and so he can speak to us. So if he speaks, listen and move back toward him. Take the first step. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're not unhappy with us when we make our return to you. You're excited you want us to come back. You want us to have a close relationship again. So, Father, I pray for all of us that we'll listen for you to speak during this crisis. Father, help us to see that you often use difficult times to speak to your children. So, during this time, I pray that we'll be open to hear you speak. And, Father, we'll be drawn to a closer relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.